Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of We Make the Future, brought to you by PyTop. Here's a taste of what's coming up in this episode. The technology is just technology. It's just the tools, right? What we want to do is encourage people to use their imagination, to feel empowered, to feel enabled, so that if they see these problems, if there are things that they notice which they want to change, that they feel that they have the skills and the knowledge to do that. If I was a kid now, I'd probably be buying something like a pie top. Beer and ping pong is not a factor in whether or not I'm happy. Now, my guest for this episode is Amali de Alwis, CEO of Code First Girls, a program that works with businesses and individuals to encourage more women into a career in tech. Here she is to tell us more. Hi, my name is Amali de Alwis. I'm the chief exec of Code First Girls. So I've kind of got a couple of questions and I'm going to come to the most pressing one last, which is your most recent news. But before we, before we get on to that, I just want to get a sense from you, having led Code First Girls now for several years, just paint a picture of what life was like when you started and where you think we are now and, and how much progress has been made. It's pretty incredible to think about how much has changed in the last four years. And I think, you know, especially working in startups, you get a little impatient sometimes. But I I genuinely do feel that things have moved on. So when I joined, we were talking about diversity in a pre-Me Too environment before gender pay gap reporting happened. And it's incredible to think about just how, even when we're having conversations with companies, for example, as well as the women, how those conversations have changed from being us trying to push on slightly closed doors in some instances to very much pushing on open doors. You know, we do very little actual client outreach because most of the time people come to us, they're recognising that these are challenges which exist in the world, but more than that, they want to do something about it. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things which has changed during that time. There's something here as well about your career path. So you did, you did kind of art, then you moved into you know, working for Kantar. And you know, there's that diversity in both not only age or, or gender or, or, or whatever, but also in like just life and like bringing experience in. How important is that to a company? For me, I guess, thinking about my, my education and my path through, if I was a kid now, I, I'd probably be buying something like a pie top, right? So I have fond memories of my electronic kit when I was a kid where I would build radios and alarms for my bedroom to stop my sister getting in. But I'd also be, you know, sewing waistcoats for my Barbie dolls. It was, it was always about creativity and building things. So you're a maker? I'm, I'm a maker. I'm a maker, um, through and through. But what I make, I don't mind. So whether I make companies, whether I make strategies, whether I make, whether I make products, whether, whether I make services, it's about how do I look out into the world, interpret what I see, and then create something which either makes something to fit a need or makes something better. That's what it comes down to. So for me, when I, when I started my studies, I started studying manufacturing engineering. Right. That's that's what I studied at Birmingham, decided I didn't want to be an engineer, decided I want to go and have some radical life change, went to Camberwell, spent a year being a very poncy art student. It was fab. Um, and then went into a degree in shoe design, uh, which was actually I realized about six months in I'd really done the same degree twice, because whether you're manufacturing shoes or aeroplane propellers, you're going through exactly the same manufacturing process. But I think if anything, what that made me realize was that whilst I enjoyed the, the physical making, it was actually the thing behind the making that, that that kind of really excited me. So that's what led me to become a quant researcher, so working in marketing, brand research, trying to understand what's a landscape like, how do we make better products, how do we make better services. That's what drove me to work at PwC as a researcher and then thinking about thought leadership, so how do we take all these ideas and help them help people to connect with those ideas. And that's what led me to Code First Girls, you know, the opportunity to, again, build something um, and think about the world around me, interpret those needs, and then rethink how we can create something to better serve that. So 
in, in a way, whilst all of these things, I guess, taken separately seem very radically different, it's all about the same thing, which is I, I like ideas. I like putting ideas into practice and building things. I think also, like, it's all about art school, particularly, I think, on, and I'm going back to, you know, the 90s when I was there. But, you know, on paper, one person in that whole year would actually go on to have a career in art or be an artist and have gallery shows and everything like that. The other 29 people all went into loads of different things, you know. And so if you were if you were the dean looking at this, you're like, well, you're only churning out one artist per year. But actually, that mentality, uh, and I did sculpture, and now I'm working for a company that believes in making. Now, I sometimes think that perhaps young people feel that unless they go on a very linear path, and they, they're missing out on that meander, and maybe you don't have to go to university. I don't think everyone needs to go to uni. My personal belief is that the current education system doesn't work for everyone and I say this as someone who's really bad at exams right I'm horrible at exams my memory doesn't work that way the way that I problem solve doesn't work that way I'm much better with projects for example and I really value the changes that we've seen over the last few years which has been the widening of those education options so I'm one of the the board at Ada College they offer some really fantastic apprenticeships and it's amazing to see young people who are joining those programs who clearly, you know, the, the, the education system of let's just test people doesn't work for them. It didn't work for me. And I think it, there's nothing wrong with a tested system, but there is something wrong with saying it is the only way to do it. And I think this is what, what we need to get better at. And I'm, I'm also on, you know, on the diversity board of another organization called the Institute of Coding, which is specifically looking at how do we do uh, digital and coding education for for young people at sort of a higher education level. And it's not just about the universities. It's about the companies and the training programs they offer. It's about the third sector organizations like ourselves. It's about online platforms and offering a, a, an experience where whoever you are, however is best suited to your work, that you can find something that works for you. And I think that's really the, the, the big benefit. And it, it's lovely to see more companies offering apprenticeships. I think that's a fantastic move. I do think, you know, there, there's still a little bit of argy-bargy going on as far as what's the best way to deliver that. Long, different conversations about, you know, what those methods are, are best. But I think for any young person, it's about two things. One is increasing your knowledge. Two is getting work experience. Um, and that's really critical. So regardless of which route you go down, if you go down a classic academic route, making sure that you had work placements and those types of things, if you go down an apprenticeship route, making sure that you get skills, qualifications, as well as the experience with the companies, whichever way it goes, it's just about building those two sides so that you are better enabled to actually take some really interesting jobs at the end of it. What's your favourite fact or story or kind of event that you've seen in your time here? I know you listed some on your LinkedIn, but just to sort of elaborate some of your, your highlights. There are so many highlights from the last four years. I think it's always when when I get to meet or hear stories about community members where they've done something incredible. So with this little bit of support, a little bit of guidance and a supportive community, they've gone on and done incredible things. So one of my favourites was actually one of our alum, uh, Millie Cabelli, who I think now is, is one of the sort of fintech movers and shakers. But I remember her coming up to me after an event we had run with Bank of America. And she came up to me at the end of the session and she said, Amali, we, we haven't met. I just wanted to come and say hi and just tell you a little bit about what I'm getting up to because I was studying, I think she was studying business or economics or something like that. And she said, I came to do a Code Fest Girls course at level 39. I really, really loved it. And so I've written this book and she hands me this book, which is on the fintech ecosystem in Istanbul. And it's a proper book, you know, and I, I think I was just blown away by this incredible, you know, young woman who had gone and done something facilitated by Code Fest Girls sort of supporting her, helping her to find a bit of direction, helping her to find something that she was really passionate about and she's really excelled in and has grown in 
Um, and it's all her hard work, but to be able to play a role in kind of helping her to open some of the, those doors and feel that these are things which are possible. Those are the really exciting kind of things that I've, I've enjoyed. I want to sort of zoom up a bit and look at society as a whole and how this fits into this. If you look at technology, it's, it's not very diverse at the moment and, and engineering and all these sorts of subjects. Is this getting more women into tech or is this getting tech out and into other industries? Because that's also part of the problem, right? It's that what's the tech in, uh, in industry where there are more women? Like what's tech in childcare? What's tech in wellness? What's tech in all these other places? Because at the moment it's still slightly uh, ring-fenced in. It's like this is tech and you see all this sort of stuff and like app development. Someone really pithily summed it up as most new apps are stuff my mum doesn't do for me anymore. You know, an app to get your dry cleaning or an app to get your Starbucks. And it's just this sort of man-childification of, of these tasks subcontracted to kind of micro through technology. How is flooding the market with tech-savvy women going to change both tech and society? That's a bit of a, bit of a long-winded question, but you see where I'm going. I think maybe pulling apart the question into a few bits. So I, I do think that there is part of the discussion which is just about actually raising standards for everyone. And, you know, if, it, if it's something that I say once a day, probably every single day that I work, it's that there is no such thing as a non-tech business these days, right? Tech is foundational. It's We carry around microcomputers in our pockets every day. So the idea of escaping tech or there being industries where tech isn't playing a part is pretty rare. I do think that this dialogue around, and, and we're talking you know, to this idea of soft skills, I, I, I actually don't find them soft skills. I find them very hard skills. You know, building relationships is hard. Um, you know, being, do, delivering great client service is hard. Um, you know, putting together, you know, good communication to, to help people understand what your product does is hard, right? So I think this is around rounding what we have as expectations of people who work in tech and engineering. Because when we're talking about how those people are having to work in a real-life scenario, you, it's very rare that someone would be sitting on their own in a corner somewhere, not having to talk to anyone. You, if, if you're doing a, a project, if you're doing a software project, you're often working in teams, you might be working in sprints, you each have different responsibilities, you could be working with offshore teams. You know, All of these kinds of things are part of what makes that person successful in their jobs. So if you don't have these types of skills, you are not going to be successful in your job. And I think that balance between, I guess, what would be classed as your sort of engineering or sort of, you know, the, the coding skills themselves, combined with the ability to actually get the job done, which is a much broader umbrella uh, than just having the technical skills. I think it's, it's almost that how can we make an engineer, that, that vision of what an engineer is, a more holistic and representative one? Um, talking to the point around, I guess, how that impacts, how women being in, uh, involved in technology and creation of technology impacts what types of products and services we create. So I'm an ex-quant researcher. Right? I, used to, I used to work on company accounts, people like Unilever's and the Colgate's and all of these kinds of things. Companies spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds doing customer research, product research, R&D. And by hands down, the easiest way to understand if your product is going to be successful is by having the people who have a connection to those products be involved in the creation of those products because they have empathy for that. It's why when we even when we talk about entrepreneurs, that one of the first things people talk about is, you know, find something that you're passionate about. Find something that bothers you or that you know drives you or that you have some sort of connection to so 
if we are to say be serving half of the population then why not have half of the population involved in the creation of those products if they're the ones who are able to connect with these products better and easier it's not to say that someone who's not connected to a product and I certainly you know as someone who used to work on a you know medicated pet food account at one point and knows more about dog urinary disorders than any human being should know you know and I don't even own a dog I'm not saying it's not possible I'm saying it's harder it's harder for me to connect with understanding those kind of products and what sells that products if I don't understand those customers. So either I need to work extra hard to understand who I'm selling to and who I'm building for, or I just have people, and we used to do that certainly with the company, specialists who, who come from those types of backgrounds, people who have insights into, into those kind of areas. Um, and that just helps you to actually create better products, better services and better businesses. How does society change once this influx of new talent comes in? And it's not something that you might necessarily have the answer to, but at the moment it's no good skilling people if the environment they're going into is, isn't reflective of, of where they've come from. You are 100% right. And it's, often people tell me that. <laughs> it's, it's one of the reasons why, as Code First Girls, when we set our mission, we, we said our mission is to help get more women into tech. Our mission isn't to teach women how to code. And, and I use that as a subtle difference. And it's not that we don't teach women how to code, we do. But actually, it's about the holistic picture of what is it that helps us to get women into tech. We have looked at all of those different things. Teaching women how to code is one part of it, but actually working with the companies is another big part of it. For example, one of the big things that we've seen change over the last few years and and hopefully facilitated by our engagements with our partners has been things like people looking at um, the types of qualifications that people should be taking. You know, do we have to have, if we're taking a junior role for someone who's coming through an apprenticeship program, do they have to have done computer science at ALIP? No, they don't because they can be taught, they're bright, they're capable, they can learn quickly. So for companies who are taking on these people, allowing themselves to be changed by this influx of people is as critical as the women themselves being changed and educated as well. When we're thinking about how the companies change, and, and you know, I think that's a valuable point when you talk about the working environments for people. So a classic example that I, I sort of tend to call on is, for example, if you want to, as a company, do flexible working. So let's say you want to have people to be working remotely. Right. How does that work if you are a, an agile company and that your sprints are on a Monday morning when someone has dropped their kids off? How does that work if your progression model is based on people vouching for people when you work back office or if you're an introvert or if you work on teams which don't get a lot of time with senior leadership? Right. And, and these are all really important questions. And I think in some cases, some of these are really difficult questions. So, for example, if you're talking about people working remotely, how does that make the rest of the team feel? Do you, do you get you know, people feeling resentful that people are leaving early? There is nothing wrong with that feeling in the same way there is nothing wrong with people needing to go home and, and look after their kids. And then they'll be working at home when other people aren't noticing. So it's almost about having those really honest conversations about how do people feel about these changes and what is it that stops them being as successful as they should be? Why is it that companies who still implement good, let's say, parental leave policies, flexible working, that they're still having women leave? the workforce and the reason being that it's not the policy problem it's the execution problem it's because we need to really unpick the operational reasons why some of these things aren't being as successful as they could be and in some of those cases it's about actually allowing people to have those conversations and say you know what I, I don't have kids and I feel I feel really frustrated when people leave early and I feel like they're not having doing their work and it's for the parents to then turn around and say I feel really frustrated that I leave early because I have to collect my kids and because of that I'm not seen as being serious or career-minded or wanting progression so allowing people that space to have those really honest and open conversations to understand look how can we better understand each other in some cases and in some
some cases put in place better policies which actually allow people to get the best out of a situation regardless of what their background is. And are you seeing that from the senior leaderships of the companies you work for which looking you know if you look at financial technology things like that they tend to be guys they tend to be white they tend to glamorous wives at home looking after the kids you know and I'm stereotyping but you know if you did a straw poll and looked at the data you would come up with that scenario are they prepared to to take this leap do they recognize that it is healthy for their companies to do this I mean I'm thinking again of another uh, bank of America recently that just completely shut down all remote working from home and things like that and then had to do a complete 180 when there was both uproar and, and and kind of a sense that this has been completely misjudged the company morale. I mean, that's a really interesting watershed, and you wonder whether these things will now be kind of scrolled in through the back door or other means, or people will be forced out through kind of atrophy and, and, and things like that. Now the media circus has gone away. I, I would hope not. I, w- I would hope that, and I don't think that change is linear and always upwards you know the adage of you know two steps forward one step back I think that's most of life and I also think that when it comes to you know the comfort level with some of these changes it's almost when people start talking with their feet that people start taking notice you know no change comes about by just letting things be and people make a good choice about things sometimes they make good choices Often you make the situation where not making that choice is untenable or unsavoury. And it's really interesting when I I read an article recently, there was a woman who was talking about the whole lenin philosophy, right? And I I personally, I have a bit of a a torn sort of relationship with that philosophy. And, And the bit which I liked which the woman was saying in response to that was actually she's a big advocate of lean out which was basically to say if you're not happy with the situation if the company is not treating you in a way that you feel valued if you feel that you can't change them take your skills and your your experience elsewhere i do think that especially when we're looking at technology there is an incentive here right hiring tech talent is tough Right. We all have, uh, you know, struggles as far as finding people who are qualified. Trying now to hire not only tech talent, but hire tech talent, which is diverse, is even tougher. Right. So you cannot afford for your people to go elsewhere, which is an incentive, I think, in a lot of cases for companies to go to go and evaluate their own processes, their policies. And in some cases, they won't get it 100 percent right the first time. But I think as, as, as employees, as citizens, it's our job to speak out, to move if we feel that we're not being treated in the way that we would want to be treated. But also for companies to realize that this is this is a very different working environment. And I think almost as a reflection of the the world which was which meant that people would stay in a company for 20 25 years has changed right companies no longer offer employee stability for for a lot of different reasons but on the on the flip side of that it means that as individuals we have much more rights to take our skills elsewhere and i think especially in a competitive market which is effectively a seller's landscape it's a very um, risky take a risky strategy, I would say, for companies to not care about what kind of a working environment they want for their employees and what they're willing to support. And all too often, it's you know, kind of cheap ephemeral things like, hey, beers on a Friday or ping pong tables. And, you know, perhaps the 18-year-old me would have loved that, but the 40-something me is like, I don't want that. I want, I want to be treated like an adult of flexibility and, you know, all this sort of stuff. So... It's it's not only uh, it's I, I think it's also age dependent as well as as well as gender and diversity is is both uh, it's it's across all those different things right absolutely and I, I think this is part of the industry growing up as well yes you know when we talk about the the, the sort of those 
you know, uh, those early kind of pioneers of technology, we were talking about young people, right? And now as those people have become older people, their needs changed as well. And, and I think it's the industry kind of growing up, I think, to reflect that technology is no longer just about young people sitting in a garage somewhere. It is about business foundations. It's about involving all of your different people at different levels. And it's about things where, you know, we, we, we can't go onto a bus these days and pay in cash. You know, it's all done, you know, remotely or with technology and cards and all of these kinds of things. So it has to be something which is inclusive of everyone because otherwise you, you just, you're, you're disconnecting people from society. So that, that is, I think, a reflection of how things are changing. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I like beer and ping pong game as, as, as good as anyone. Or beer pong. Um, but it, it's, it's not going to be a, a motivator for me to take a job. And it's certainly not going to be a substitute for other support, other sort of, um, you know, uh, allowances within a company which allow me to actually live my life. Beer and ping pong is not a factor in whether or not I'm happy. And I think that's what it really comes down to. You know, entrepreneurs doing something because it's something that matters to them, right? If you are someone who is suffering from looking after parents who have Alzheimer's or if you have had a partner or a spouse or, or someone you know where these have been things and you've suddenly noticed, my gosh, these are, these are real issues here. You know, that's, that's what drives you to then want to do something about it. The thing about technology, and I think hopefully the thing which Code First Girls gives people is the knowledge to go and do something about that using technology so if you want and if you almost take that mission focus right and you say okay i want to i want to help people who are suffering from alzheimer's to reduce loneliness right there are lots of different ways to do that you could set up a a scheme where people go and get visits you could set up a, a local social group you could set up deliveries of i don't know pets or something to come in once you know lots of different things technology is just one way to solve that problem people who are facing those issues if they don't have technology skills they're going to find other ways to try and address that and it's almost then it's it's not that those ways aren't effective it's just that there are also other ways using technology for example that you could be doing that so in a way you know code for skills and i think this is part of our sort of legacy as, as coming out of a you know entrepreneur first and, and you know in a company which helps people to build things that's what we do as well and i think there's probably something which pytop actually has has very much in common which is the technology is just technology it's just the tools right what we want to do is encourage people to use their imagination to feel empowered to feel enabled and feel that they have enough of an understanding a connection to the world so that if they see these problems if there are things that they notice which they want to change that they feel enabled and feel that they have the skills and the knowledge to do that using technology as well as their other areas as well talk a bit about lifelong learning how does lifelong learning and how how does um, code first girls fit into that lifelong learning is absolutely critical for example we went to a company recently and we ran a coding day so this was one of our commercial courses and my key contact there he said to me amali i just need to warn you some of the people in this room today have actually lost sleep about doing this course today and these were these were people of all different ages all different teams quite few i would say within the sort of 35 to 45 age category and i remember seeing this woman at the beginning of the day who when we were doing the introductions and and, you know i went over and said you know you're okay and she was like no no i'm not i'm not okay you know i don't really get this what is this all about so i spent a couple of minutes just explaining something to her and i saw her going through the day and then towards the end of the day i went up to her again just to check in and make sure she was okay and she looked at me and she was like yeah I, i i get this i i you know yeah I'm fine I'm absolutely fine she was completely calm by the end of the day and it was almost that idea that didn't take much we're talking about six seven hours worth of just helping people to see that this was one step 
on a thousand steps, but they could see where that one step was. They could see how, if they were so inclined and if they wanted to, they could take those further steps. But it, it, it was no longer this sort of black box of, I don't even know where to approach this. And that panic of, um, I, I, I don't understand this, I don't, you know, I can never learn this, I didn't learn this before, and therefore it's not accessible to me. You take away that panic, you demystify things a little bit, and that makes a huge difference. So that's certainly something which, which I see, you know, a lot. And I think, just talking to that wider thing about you know upskilling through through life. So I was on um I was a commissioner on a skills and education commission up in Doncaster a few years ago, and we're talking about you know uh, towns there where you know we're talking about old mining towns where people have seen the way that their industries work completely change, right? And there was this amazing woman I met who ran an organisation called the M25 Group, and I think they've they've now joined with another group, but they were looking they were supporting people who were long term homeless and unemployed. And one of the things that she, she was saying was, you know, how, how do we support people to, to get jobs, right, when there is nowhere for them to access a laptop, which they can do in the evenings? How do we allow people to apply for jobs when they don't know how to create a PDF, when they don't know even where to go online to make a job application? So it's that fundamental sort of gap between people who've never had to do this, people who've never had to connect with technology, and at least helping them to bridge that gap to allow them to interact with the world and, and everything is digital these days. So there, there's that part which is just around basic fundamental digital skills as well and allowing people to just at least, you know, uh, connect in some way with the way that we actually progress people, the way that we get people into jobs and work in the current landscape. Uh, I'm just going to save the best till last now and talk about uh, your most recent news. So you are moving on from Code First Girls uh, after four glorious years. Uh, what's next? I, I will let you know. I am. I am. I am Cryptic. having. I know. I know. It's. Um. I haven't. I haven't sort of confirmed anything as yet. I'm having a few conversations. I've been thinking about whether or not to move from Codefest Girls for a few months. I think anyone who works in startup, I, I sort of uh, draw a sort of a parallel to you know years in startups is like dog years you know one year in startup is like three years in normal company so I'm so proud of what has been achieved over the last four years and I I think we've done some really good stuff um Code First Girls is in a really good position we have grown our community courses we're in a good place financially we've got some fantastic commercial clients as well as partners we are now looking at a point where it's almost a rebreathing Right, so we've rolled out the strategy from our 2020 campaign. We've done some great, you know, programs with BT recently around the BT Further program, the Vodafone Code Like a Girl program. So all of these things are have helped us to get a get to a point where we're now thinking about what next. Where's our next three to five year strategy? So it was almost one of those things where when I was thinking about when you know where do I grow, where do I stretch into, do I stay for another three to five year cycle, or do I actually? I think probably have confidence in what I have built as a company and, and say that Code First Girl stands on its own two feet and I think it can do that very successfully without me as well and bring in someone new to actually bring in a little bit of you know fresh air and, and a new view about things, bring in the new strategy uh, for the next few years um, and hopefully you know allow it to go and do even more exciting things. Brilliant, thank you. You're very welcome, thank you. And my thanks to Amali there, and we wish her well for the future. And it'll be interesting to see who takes over the reins. Those are big shoes to fill. Uh, that is all for this episode, and all for a short while while we take a brief hiatus. Uh, I've got some top-secret PyTop projects to work on over April, so the pod will be taking a bit of a break over Easter, and then we'll be back with some new, fresh episodes when I've been out in the field and met some more amazing, interesting people. 
So I'm going to be traveling to schools and universities and doing some really interesting things uh, over the next month or so. So it's all going to be grist to the podcast mill. Um, in the meantime, do get in touch if you're doing anything cool or interesting with PyTop or indeed anything else in the kind of tech social constructionism learning by making space. Uh, get in touch via Twitter. We are get PyTop via Twitter. Uh, we'd love to see the, some of the things you're building. Uh, but until I come back from my travels, stay safe and I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.